Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax. Thank you so much for joining us. However you're listening on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google, Apple, iHeart, however you're getting your podcast, however you're hopefully subscribed to the GBB Podcast Network, that GBB stands for Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. However you are checking us out, again, make sure that you're not just listening to GBB Live, but also the Core 4, 3 and D, the Starting 5, and then the Long View with my co-host Parker Fleming, who is not joining us on this episode of GBB Live, but that's okay because I've got one of my all-time favorites talking about the great John Morant, and we're going to have a debate in the second segment about DeAnthony Melton for Kyle versus Kyle Anderson. So stay tuned for that one. It's going to be quite the journey and adventure. But we'll talk about uh, the, the newsmaker, Mr. Morant, here in the first segment. You can follow us on Twitter, at GBB Live. You can follow me on Twitter if you make that poor choice already. I apologize. If you want to make a poor choice, by all means, at Joe Mullinax. Uh, you can follow the blog that I am the site manager for, Grizzly Bear Blues part of the SB Nation uh, blog network at SBN Grizzlies. And you can follow my co-host, who I mentioned earlier, Parker Fleming, unable to join us on this episode. Make sure you're following him, my associate editor, or one of my associate editors at GBB, at Paca underscore Flocka. My guest on this episode of the show is a friend of GBB Live, a friend of GBB, a friend of mine. Uh, I've known him for some time in, in this blogger journey that, that I have been on, and and he has a fantastic Patreon page that if you don't already subscribe, you need to. I believe every time I have him on, I remind him I was his first subscriber before he hit it big uh, in the Patreon uh, world. Um, I was the first subscriber of his. He does a great job over there. Wonderful, wonderful Grizzlies mind at the real H-R-D-L-I-C-K-A on Twitter. I spell it out because it's Matt Hardlicka. Matt, how are you doing, sir? Uh, I appreciate you joining me on this episode. We've got lots to talk about. Uh, apparently the Grizzlies have the first superstar in franchise history. Uh, that that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty that's pretty accurate, Joe. That's the best. I you know I don't ever really think about things in that in those terms, but that's right. He's the first superstar. I think cool. that it's a, it is absolutely cool. I'm curious to get your take on the Zach Randolph question because I think that, and I I've if I remember back to the Zebo documentary 50 for the city that they did when he retired, which was fantastic. I want to say they tried to say he was the first superstar then. And, and I guess and no, because I think that in spurts, like in that playoff series against the Spurs, that playoff run in 2011, Zebo definitely yeah. had that aura and that energy, but I don't think Memphis and the Grizzlies franchise has ever seen something as sustained as what John Morant is doing this season. I think it's fair to say that people maybe got a little bit ahead of themselves early in the game, like his rookie campaign and that sort of thing. Uh, it almost felt rushed in some ways. Uh, now I don't think it's rushed in any way, shape, or form. We'll talk more about this in a moment. We are looking at one of the best 15 or so players in the National Basketball Association playing for the Memphis Grizzlies. He was named an all-star for the first time Thursday night on Inside the NBA on TNT. And not just an all-star, Matt, an all-star starter, which is just phenomenal for the franchise, obviously phenomenal for Ja and his family. Uh, congratulations to him. I, I, No disrespect to Zach Randolph, because I do think he had bits and pieces of it. Do you agree that we've never seen anything to the level of what Ja is doing 
you know, social media has obviously blown up in the past decade. I think that's part of it that helps Morant. But John Morant, from his swagger, the confidence he exudes, the Nike campaign, all the advertisements, I think that all adds up to him surpassing Zach, not as the greatest Grizzly of all time, but in terms of what a real superstar is for this franchise. Oh, is Zach Randolph the greatest Grizzly of all time? I think that that I'm was what. Joking. Let's not get sidetracked. Let's not get right. Sidetracked. I was just, I, I, I was just yeah. opening up a can of worms. <laughs> you know who my answer would be, but I think it's fair to say that a majority of Grizzlies fans yeah. would say Zach Randolph is. Let's um, talk about Ja. Ja, ja is just—he's just cool. Like some part of superstardom is not just like production on the court. It's like which guys resonate with the nation. You know, and for a small market team like the Grizzlies, who's constantly being overlooked, who like doesn't really get talked about, they're finally getting their shine. It's all because of Ja. I mean, you know, no disrespect to the rest of the roster, but like he is the he is the guy that resonates with with like the nation. Um, you know, there's other guys that like you can look at. I'm not going to throw out Rudy Gobert or anything, but like, you know, just big men in general don't resonate. Like nobody talks about Nikola Jokic. Everybody kind of agrees that he's a superstar, but like nobody talks about him like he's cool. And John is just everybody, nobody has a bad word to say about him. And, you know, we're just in that honeymoon period where he's still, his star is still ascending. He hasn't really had any kind of like trials and tribulations yet. And I mean, in his third year, he's an all-star starter and, you know, it's interesting to kind of look back over the years and see, you know, sometimes all-star, all-NBA, they're like these signposts for what the league was like in a given year. And, you know, I hope that Andrew Wiggins being <laughs> voted, it's weird, Andrew Wiggins and John Morant are exactly, they're, they have identical all-star records, you know. And hopefully uh, Andrew Wiggins being voted in this year doesn't uh, besmirch uh, John Morant's future uh, all-star debut. Uh, but it is a wild time to think about. I mean, because, like, if you look at it, I'm sorry, it, 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 like, you know, Steph is obviously great. Luca's being he, – he, he went over Luca. Dame is hurt. And even if those guys were healthy, I mean, Ja's playing so well and he's so cool that I don't know if he would have gotten – fewer votes than those guys like he might he might be more popular than Damian Lillard right now which is wild I think he is I I don't know that it would be unfair to say that he that he is more popular than Damian Lillard and and I do believe that you make a good point about that cool factor that really hurts Jokic in this social media age like Nikola Jokic is having a better season now than he did last season when he won the MVP award and yet, whenever the MVP award is brought up, it is Kevin Durant, it's Giannis, it's Joel Embiid, it's LeBron. You know, these are deserving guys. But at the same time, like Jokic is literally playing better than he did last season, and he's defending MVP. So I, I do think there's something to the idea of that, that lack of, of uh, for lack of a better term, sex appeal or attractiveness. Right. Uh, when, when it comes to what makes somebody a, you know, a, a viable option in these fan-driven votes. My favorite part about this, Matt, and we can kind of move on from here in, in terms of uh, what this means for the franchise moving forward. My favorite part of this 
was that Jaw was voted second by the fans in terms of voting. Uh, again, Steph was first, Jaw was second. But there was no variant or variation from the media and player vote. The players mm-hmm. voted him second, and the media voted him second. Obviously, Andrew Wiggins, you can't say that about. Andrew Wiggins was, I think, third in the fan vote. The players had him sixth or something along those lines. It, it wasn't even comparable to what the players felt. But Jaw is respected by the media. Jaw is respected by the players. He is one of those rare, true superstars early in his career that kind of transcends not just being viewed as cool, but also backing it up with his play. He is that it guy in the NBA right now, but he's also able to back it up in terms of how he leads his team, how he is the straw that stirs the drink offensively, how he has gotten better defensively in terms of disrupting passing lanes. He is not the liability on that end that he had been in the past, and that just makes his offensive impact that much more explosive. So I I think that my favorite thing about this particular event is that it wasn't like Andrew Wiggins, who is having a good season, no disrespect. Maybe he's an all-star reserve. I could hear that argument. He shouldn't be an all-star starter. And I think that when you see Jaws numbers, he's respected across the board. He didn't just get this because he is in a large market, because he has an active fan base, because, you know, what country he's from, whatever the case might be, or whatever combination may exist. He got this because he earned it across the board. Yeah, I mean, he he 100% deserves it. And he feels like one of those guys that, you know, there are some players that are always, they always feel kind of like on the outside of the the brotherhood or I, I don't I really don't know how to describe it. It's like they're not they don't garner their respect. Like the the rest of the league doesn't respect Rudy Gobert the way that like they respect uh Joel Embiid. Um Joel Embiid's obviously better, but like I think I think the league views that gulf like way 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 different than like, you know, people in maybe front offices or whatever. Like and I, he yeah, just and I, has I think the, the respect and the front Go office ahead. point, sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to reinforce what you were saying. I think John Hollinger, who you and I are both familiar with, I know you like Hollinger, I do too. Um, Hollinger put out his top 25 defenders of all time, and he had Rudy Gobert fifth. I find it hard to believe that any modern NBA player would say that Rudy Gobert is the fifth greatest defender in the history of the NBA. It might be true. There's plenty of statistical data that would back that up. But it goes to your point, like to hear that out loud, I'm not sure that that would resonate with a player the same way that the impact that an Embiid or a Giannis or even a John Morant perhaps makes. Yeah, Jaws a hooper, as they say. He's just a hooper. Jaws a hooper. Desmond Bain is also a hooper, and uh, he's a a certified hooper after John Morant uh, retweeted one of our post-game media tweets over at uh, SBN Grizzlies on Twitter. Uh, what does this mean for the franchise moving forward? Because so much of our, I'm going to address the elephant in the room here, Matt. So much of our paranoia as a fan base, uh, you know, I, I lived in the city for just a few years, but I still consider myself a, a long distance Memphian. Um, we worry that something's going to go wrong and Jaw's going to want to leave and the market's not big enough. You hear those rumblings with Zion, right? Zion wants to go to New York. None of that has happened with Ja yet, as you kind of alluded to. They're still very much in the honeymoon stage with Morant. 
does this reinforce, because obviously they're going to have restricted free agency rights, if Morant is named all NBA, which we'll talk more about here in a moment, if that occurs, he'll get the Supermax, I believe he'll be eligible for, and obviously Memphis will pay him that. I, I wonder what this would mean when an unrestricted free agency becomes an option. Does Ja, and we're trying to prognosticate about something that's five or so years in the future, does Ja Morant become more likely to stay in Memphis because he is able to achieve this level of stardom in one of the smallest markets in the NBA? Does that even matter? Again, he's probably going to get a Nike shoe deal in the next year or two. He's, he's getting all this attention and all these accolades. He's not somebody like LeBron James that eventually wants to transcend and become some celebrity producer. Uh, he just doesn't give off that vibe. He hasn't really said that. He loves basketball. He's from a small town in South Carolina. He went to Murray State. Is it possible that the Grizzlies got a Damian Lillard-esque perfect superstar for them and that he can get everything that he wants from the game of basketball in Memphis? Why would he ever leave? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's hard to project people that far out. I mean, sure. but, but the, the central point that we, you kind of you took for granted is it's a long way out before you know, we get to that third contract, which is, the third contract is where you figure out what a person, what a player wants at that time. You know, the restricted game is sort of, you know, it's a dance, but it's, it's a, in fact, I was listening to another podcast earlier today and they, they said, you know, if you, if the first max is the fun max, it's the one that the team doesn't mind giving out. And it's the one where, you know, it's, it's a lot of money, but it's not the, Oh man, this is going to go really poorly max. Um, and so, I mean, Jaw's going to get his Supermax, and we're going to know in six years what, you know, what he decides. But the whole point is uh, he's legitimately the best. He, he will be probably the best player in franchise history sooner rather than later. And he is good enough to arguably like win an MVP one day. Like I, I believe that. Um, and having that kind of player in a small market is, I mean, literally the only way you get that player is if you draft him and if you get lucky enough to draft them and the Grizzlies were, I mean, we've talked about it so many times. They were lucky that they drafted second in the Zion draft because, you know, we'd be having a much different discussion if we had Zion and not Jaw. Um, but just the simple fact that we can talk about these types of things just shows like, you know, he's opening the door for us, for, for the franchise and the franchise has to sort of lay the groundwork like they're doing to, to show him that anything he wants to do, like the championships, whatever are possible. Um, he may never get there, you know, and it may be, the team's failing and maybe his failing, he may get hurt a bunch. I mean, he could get hurt tomorrow, you know, never be the same. Uh, these things change like way faster than we like to think they do. But just the simple fact we can, I mean, he's allowing us to dream in ways that are legitimate, you know, and that's, that's, that's what a superstar does. Dream in ways that are legitimate. I like that. And I think there's a lot of truth to it. Uh, we're talking with Matt Hardlicka at the real Hardlicka, H-R-D-L-I-C-K-A on Twitter. Uh, former GB beer, one of the best Grizzlies writers out there, has a Patreon page. Make sure you go check it out, subscribe, all those fun things. Uh, Matt, my GBB Live question of the day, thanks to the over 140 folks that participated in the poll. 
where does John Morant rank in terms of being one of the best players in the NBA? Because as you kind of alluded to, as we've kind of alluded to, that all-NBA moniker, that's your top 15 or so players in the NBA. That's very important when it goes into the Supermax that we were talking about a moment ago. Joss seems on his way. If you're an all-star starter, you're in that all-NBA mix, unless your name's Andrew Wiggins. So let's take a look at the results of this poll. I had 25th through 15th as an option. I had 14th through 10th uh, best player in the NBA. I had 9th through 6th as an option and then 5th through 1st. So one of the top five players in the National Basketball Association. I voted for 14th through 10th. I think that's, you know, the non-homer answer uh, in terms of him. You know, if you say, because obviously James Harden isn't a starter. Maybe you say Harden's better than Jaw. Uh, there's injuries to Damian Lillard. I think Morant is better than Lillard at this moment. But, you know, I could see an argument for those kinds of guys. Uh, so I went the non-homer 14th to 10th. Uh, the winner was 9th to 6th best player in the NBA at 42.3%. So I was impressed Ooh. by that. Uh, I'm just glad it wasn't 5th through 1st. We are a Grizzlies blog after all. <laughs> a Grizzlies podcast network. So fifth through first was 21.8% of the vote, which was only third. So again, I, I think for a Grizzlies podcast and a Grizzlies blog, uh, obviously mostly Grizzlies fans participating, uh, still a Homer response, but I don't think that's as Homerish as it could have been. What do you think, Matt? I, again, like I said, I went 14th through 10th. That puts him in that yeah. all-NBA conversation for sure. Uh, where would you have job ranked in the NBA right now? You know, I, my first... I actually think I voted 15th to 25th, but, you know, I start to think about it. And I'm like, who is going to be all NBA over him? Like, are there, he's one of the six best guards, right? I mean, like, depending on what you think about Luca, like who would, you, who would the Bulls rather have DeMar DeRozan or jaw? Like jaw. I, I think they'd rather have jaw. Right. But DeMar's right. DeMar is going to make, get more votes. I mean, I, I think, you know, here's the, here's the way I was thinking about it. I was like, because I do think there's a, a drastic difference between regular season and, and playoff basketball. And I'm not saying this to, to take away from Jaw at all. But I, I think 10 to 15 is where I'd have him probably for the regular season. And I think you could maybe even get an argument for higher. But I wonder in the playoffs, not only he, – he got a little bit of a taste last year, but he still doesn't have, like, all the reps. Um his foul seeking is like way better than it was last year. So that's going to help him in the playoffs. And I think he'll get the respect of, of getting a whistle. Like, you know, there are so many times late in games where the team doesn't have anything and you just got to slam into somebody and get a foul. And he can, he can do that. I think he'll be able to do that this year, but he's still exploitable on defense. Um, he's gonna, he's, they're going to ask him to do a ton in the playoffs. And so I think, I think I'd probably have him one step down in that 15 to 25. But when I say 15 to 25, I mean, like, he's, I'd have him, like, 15 or 16 or 17, like, not, you know. So if you gave me, like, a 12 to 17 slot, sure. I would probably do that, you know, uh, for, for playoff basketball. Um, and, I, and I think that that is far more logical than moving him up if that makes sense. Like I have a yeah. hard time thinking of 14 players in the NBA that are better than John Morant, but your point right. is a fair one. And once the game slows down, I know that makes a lot of us nervous. We talked a little bit about that on Twitter. I'm sure we'll talk about it on the show as the playoffs get closer. You know, the Grizzlies half court offense is very dependent on offensive rebounding. 
And Steven Adams is obviously the massive piece of that. But you could pretty easily argue, and we started to see hints of it in certain games, is Steven Adams going to be able to be played depending on matchup in the playoffs? We haven't seen enough Dylan Brooks yet with this lineup. I think they've only played 74 minutes together with this starting five of Bain and Morant and Jaron and Steven, excuse me. So I, I do believe that there is some variance that we haven't been able to take into account yet. But it's all going to be interesting to watch play out in the second half of the season. Congratulations, John Morant, on your all-star starter selection. May it be the first of many as a member of the Memphis Grizzlies. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We're moving on to trade deadline talk. Uh, Matt Hardlicka has become a more fervent supporter of Kyle Anderson than I ever could have fathomed. He's trading DeAnthony Melton. I'm surprised Keith Parrish from Fast Break Breakfast hasn't crushed him yet. We're going to talk about why he thinks uh, Melton, perhaps, should be the player that's on the move. And I'm going to try to see if he's going to love Kendrick Williams as much as I love him. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinex, joined by my guest at this time, Mr. Matt Harlicky. He has an amazing Patreon page that I highly recommend that you subscribe to. Make sure you're checking him out at the real H-R-D-L-I-C-K-A on Twitter. Former GB Beer, friend of GBB, GBB Live, and a friend of mine. Uh, he's been doing this almost as long as me, I think, if not longer. Uh, roughly the same amount of time, at least uh, writing and, and talking about the Grizzlies in this way. And I always enjoy talking Grizzlies basketball with Matt. We talked about John Morant and how special he is, what that means moving forward for the Grizzlies in the first segment. Here we're going to talk about the trade deadline approaching. And Matt, you kind of surprised me, if I'm being honest, on social media when you brought up the idea of maybe not moving on from Kyle Anderson at the trade deadline. For the record, and I've put this out there multiple times, I don't know that they trade either of Melton, the Anthony Melton, or Kyle Anderson. I think it's highly probable they keep both of those guys. I think the only player that's going to be on the move is Jarrett Culver, potentially. Uh, but you, if in a hypothetical situation the opportunity arose, you would prefer potentially moving on from Melton as opposed to Kyle Anderson. I'm interested as to your logic on that. As a Kyle Anderson fan, I am a Kyle Anderson fan. But I think we disagree on this, but I want to hear your argument. You might be able to convince me. What is your reasoning <laughs> for Kyle Anderson being that guy that perhaps they extend keep around move on from yeah. DeAnthony Melton? Well, first, I mean, just because I want, I, I suggest somebody in a trade doesn't, I mean, usually that means they're good. <laughs> so I am That's both true. the Anthony Melton fan and a Kyle Anderson fan. Let's, let's, uh, but I am a, con- a convert after really, really not liking the contract that they gave him and it really not working out for the first, let's say, year and three quarters or so of the Kyle Anderson and Memphis era. It has really turned me around. He's become a different player. And um, so I believe the way I phrased it was something along the lines of, I think people are underrating the chances that Melton is the second most likely Grizzly to be traded after Culver. So we're on the same page on Culver. And then I further clarified, like, we're kind of, this is like trades that are constructed around a single player. So we're kind of taking out Tillman who would be, you know, more of a throw-in in a trade or somebody like Aldama or anybody, anything like that. We're talking about sort of the rotation players. Correct. And so for me, the idea of Melton versus Kyle is who, who's, first of all, 
yes, Kyle's an expiring contract that makes him the target because you're like the, the typical thing is you want to trade somebody before you lose them for free. And that, that is a hundred percent out there. Um, but the Grizzlies are going to really quickly get into a, we can't keep everybody scenario. And while they don't have to do anything, they really don't have to trade DeAnthony Melton. I'm not suggesting they do. They will, he is a luxury for them. And in the playoffs, I think what we've seen, I've been wanting him to be able to be a backup point guard and sort of take the reins. And he is just, he won't be capable of it in the playoffs this year. He has the helter skelter, do everything game, but he really, if you put the ball in his hands, he is really going to take two dribbles to, to mid range back out and either throw it back to John Morant or shoot a, shoot a three pointer. That's like his game. He, he cannot really score in the half court and he is an amazing productive player, but I think come playoff time, you're looking at, I mean, John Bain will be playing, John will be playing 42 minutes and Bain will be paying something like 38, 36. And you're going to have Tyus Jones play in there because you need somebody to be able to quote unquote, run the offense and actually get us into sets. And how many more minutes are left for DeAnthony Melton at that point? I mean, you know, so if you're talking about playoff basketball, I think Kyle is the more useful player, um, especially on defense. Uh, not especially on defense, but he's the more useful player. He gives you some ball handling from the front court, which you need. Um, you know, the one thing that I would say is that Kyle, Jaron, two-man lineup haven't been great. So there, I don't see a reason why they shouldn't be great, but – Jaron hasn't been good with Kyle, which is kind of a thing. But, you know, this is all contingent, too, on what the extension is with Kyle. If if the Grizzlies know, like, Kyle wants 15 – will not sign in Memphis for less than $15 million, you're probably trading him. But at the same point, next summer, if you look at the teams with cap space, there is not a single good team with cap space. So where is he getting an above-the-mid-level exception deal from a good team? Like, he's not going to get it. He has to – it has to either be a sign and trade or he has to be taking MLE money from, you know, a, a, a playoff team. And at that point, like, if we're talking about MLE money, then the Grizzlies have bird rights. They can, they can sign him for, you know, the MLE will be around 10.5 or 11. They can give him 12. And if he's not going to stay in Memphis for 12, you know – he's willingly taking less to go someplace else. And at that point, you know, you're trading him. So my argument is essentially, I think Kyle is keepable at a reasonable number. I think he's the better playoff player. And I think the, the is the luxury that you can get value for right now, more value even than you can get if you wait a year and people see another playoffs of, you know, I mean, and he could be he could be awesome in the playoffs, but that's the way I see, you know, him sort of being a luxury that's squeezed in the playoffs. And the, I mean, if you remember, he wasn't not playing in the playoffs last year. Um, so that's kind of my argument in totality, right there. What do you think? Did I convince you, or did I lean? Did I lean nudge you a little bit? You lean nudge me a little bit. I'm going to be honest. I, I think that something that I underestimate is the idea of them, say they just trade Culver for Kendrick Williams, or as Parker likes to call him, Midrick Williams, because uh, he's not a big Kendrick fan. Um, 
say that they trade Culver and a future first round pick heavily protected. Like I said, my article this past week, uh, Culver in the 2026 first heavily protected almost certainly becomes the two second round picks say that happens or it's a bottom five pick in the first round. That's not a great first round pick. You're getting Kendrick Williams. He's under the cap or excuse me. He's only, he's under contract, excuse me for $2 million next season. Does a lot of the things that Kyle does, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And you decide to keep Kyle too. Obviously, that's another bigger wing. Kenrick Williams can, in theory, play the two. Uh, I wouldn't play him there a ton, but he's more of a 3-4 hybrid than Kyle is at this point. I think in my conversations with you, I've talked about how I'm concerned about Kyle being more of a big at this stage. Uh, if, you <laughs> if you decide to keep Kyle, you keep Williams, if you trade Culver in the first, in my hypothetical here. If you're going into the summer, and that's where you're going to take your big swing for a Jalen Brown, if it all goes to hell in Boston, or you know, Ben Simmons miraculously comes available for something Memphis could offer. Uh, you know, go up and down the list in terms of hypothetical guys that could be that third star in theory mm-hmm. for the Grizzlies. Would you rather have a sign and trade with Kyle Anderson involved? And, I, and to be honest with you, I don't even know if that would be possible as part of a larger deal. Or a guy that's under contract for the next two years on a very mm-hmm. good deal who's 23 years old who has shown the capacity to play the modern game in terms of transition, has good wingspan, can be a versatile two-way player. I think that that's where the the lean nudge happens in terms of Melton maybe not right now. And again, like you Mm -hmm. and I both agree on, it's probably not going to be either of those guys that gets traded right now. But Melton as a sweetener in a deal – for a Jalen Brown, hypothetically speaking, yeah, makes a lot of sense if Boston's trying to talk themselves into we just we just don't want a bunch of picks. Oh well, here's a prospect, quote unquote, yeah. in DeAnthony Melton, a young player who they can continue to groom and you know be a solid rotation. Uh, positive piece. value, positive value salary. Still. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So it's not mm-hmm. like they're taking on Stephen Adams' expiring deal, trying to talk themselves into that money. Yeah. He, Melton would be more that. of an asset. I see that. I see that. So the idea of trading of, of my trading Milton is sort of like a bank shot of yours, which is I want to get the value now while he's still, while his contract extends. Um, you know, I, I should say I'm not like pro trading Milton. I'm saying I see the logic and I think that I think I, I think I like the logic of trading him more than Kyle, but if, if I had to choose one, but you know, I'm trading it for a pick. I'm trading, you know, I, I wouldn't trade Melton just to like get out of his contract and to get two second round picks. Like I'm like, okay, Cleveland, Chicago, trade me a 2023 first. And now I have that first banked for a whole nother year so that, you know, we don't have the use it and lose it of the, the 2022 draft pick, you know, like I'm trying to get trade currency sort of like a bank shot of your positive trade value currency so we're kind of going to the same place um because you're right i mean memphis is gonna have to do a consolidation trade at some point and i sort of maybe maybe i'm wrong that the first in 2023 is more liquid than melton on a multi-year contract which would be good salary filler so i see i see your point now trading on any kind of if the if if the pick that you are trading starts with an f for Kenrick Williams, you're crazy. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. But, 
I'm not crazy. <laughs> it's heavily protected, Matt. Again, my, yeah, my yeah, hypothetical I, deal in the column was protected first 1 through 25, okay, in 2026, which, uh, for the record, Matt's been doing this long enough to know, and I agree with him. Anytime you protect a first that far out, you're playing with fire. I totally understand that feeling. I'm the guy that said uh, that top 25 protected, then you're not playing with fire. (laughs) Right, which is exactly what uh, I did. You're playing with embers. (laughs) Correct. So if the Grizzlies are as good as we all hope they are, which you and I agree we think they should be a championship contender in the middle of this decade, right? Uh, They're ahead ahead of schedule by a year or so, I, I think it's fair to say. By 2025, 2026, they should be championship contenders year in, year out, as long as health is not a factor. That pick is not going to be good. If it is good, you obviously move it into the, you know, the last five picks of the first round, becomes two second rounders. If it's anything below 25, it's essentially two second round picks. It allows for the Thunder to extend their ridiculous draft pick cash of uh, uh, their, their random treasure trove of 36 draft picks to another first later on in the decade. And they get value for Williams, who is a good or evidence of a good defender, evidence of a solid facilitator of offense, another bigger wing that can play the three and the four and yep. can dribble a little bit, can facilitate. I think that he's a good ninth or tenth man. I'm not advocating for him to be a starter on a playoff team. I would like to see him play against the Utah Jazz, Golden State Warriors, instead of Zaire Williams this season. That's essentially where my love of Kendrick Williams, Kendrick yeah. Williams, excuse me, comes from. Um, so that's, that's why he's my main guy. And again, it's Culver and two second rounders, essentially. I don't think you're giving up the house for him. Uh, that, that would be my argument. Are you cool with Zaire or John over that? I think that's probably the main argument. And maybe you just look yeah. for an asset in that kind of exchange instead. I just, I just don't think those guys, any of those guys are going to play in the playoffs. Like Zaire probably will, un, you know, for a game until. It, but if they lose that first game and Zaire plays a bunch, I just don't think. I mean, I, I hope he doesn't play. If you know, you, you always see like, you know, when push comes to shove, the, the coach shortens his rotation. So I'm kind of in the boat of, and and when I say this, it's two second round picks is like not really part of the conversation, but save all, every asset you can for the consolidation trade you know you have to make. So I'm not really in the camp of upgrading the ninth or 10th fan because I just don't, I just don't think they're going to play um, barring injury. And if you have an injury, you're not going to win anyway. So that's kind of, that's kind of the way I see it. But Kenrick Williams is good though. I will, I will hand that to you. I, I, I think he's, he's underrated for sure. He's underrated. He's cheap. That's why I like him. Yep. But I think your point is a fair one. If you're, if you're debating the ninth man in the rotation, Things are going pretty well for your team. Yeah. That's a fair point to say. Matt Hardlega, thank you so much for joining me on this show. As always, of course, we'll have you back on down the road. Make sure you're checking out Matt's Patreon page. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at the Real TheRealHardlick, if you don't already do so. Matt, thank you again, buddy. We'll have you back on again soon. All right. Be good, Joe. Make sure you guys are subscribing on Spotify, on Stitcher, on iHeart, on Google, on Apple. Make sure you're checking out all of the podcasts on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at GVB Live, at SBN Grizzlies for all the great content over at grizzlybearblues.com. Follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. Lots of good stuff out there about Ja Morant, 
Lots of good stuff out there about the pursuit of this year ahead. Grizzlies are the third best team record-wise in the NBA, almost at the All-Star break. Holy crap, what's happening? It's all going well for the Grizzlies right now. Hopefully those good vibes, those immaculate vibes, as they say, uh, continue. So again, for Matt, for my co-host Parker, who will hopefully be back on the next episode, I'm Joe Molinax. Grind forth Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.